We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, September the 30th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend's games. The Gamecocks look to snap their two-game losing streak as they step out of conference to take on the Troy Trojans. Guys, I'll break down this game in its entirety. First things first, we'll talk about Troy and what they feature coming in this game in Williams-Brice Stadium. Also, guys, top storylines, key matchups to watch, and keys to the game as well as the game we look ahead to a pivotal non-conference matchup at Williams-Brice Stadium. Guys, also, we have your listener questions and a fantastic conversation, guys. A great interview all the way back from early 2019 as former Gamecocks tight end Busta Anderson joined me for a phenomenal conversation, guys. We reflect on his entire career, all the great memories, guys. Much, much more from that. We got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention to the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service they offer end-to-end packing services custom creating and packaging special items and cleaning services as well they're founded by greenville natives and university of south Carolina alumni guys so a gamecock owned small business they also offer 20 years of project management moving experience and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for guys whether in the upstate or across the state of south carolina if you have any moving needs in 2021 be sure to check out our friends over at upstate movers group you can find them on social media Media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, let's rock and roll here on a Thursday, the final day of September. Time sure does fly when you're having fun, folks. Again, I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. Thank you again so much for continuing to rock and roll with the content. I hope this show finds you well, no matter where you're at, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you've got the day off. Maybe you're sitting in class right now. Whatever it is, folks, again, thank you all so much for the continued love and support you guys tune in. Now, I'm always excited on a daily basis to chat with you all, whether it be the podcast, the Daily Crow, our live shows, anytime I have the opportunity to create content and conversate with each and every single one of you, I truly do look forward to that opportunity. But today's show especially, after the tumultuous week we've had dwelling on what happened last weekend, I am so looking forward to finally turning the page and talking about the opportunity that the Gamecocks football team has this weekend at Williams-Brice Stadium as they take on the Troy Trojans. And what an intriguing and interesting matchup it's set to be, guys. More on that in a bit, guys. First things first, let me remind you really quickly, the TSUS tailgate will be back this weekend at Seawells. Guys, Seawells spots 93 to 96. I'm thinking roughly right now we'll be out there about 10 a.m. or so, maybe 11. I'm not exactly sure, honestly, guys, what time Seawells opens. I will get that information, and you guys will know that information by tomorrow's podcast. But um, I'd expect my crew to be out there pretty early. If you, if you were out there last week, my crew gets rowdy. My crew... uh takes pride in their tailgating field, just like a great Gamecock should. But, uh, yeah, we'll be out there early. We'll be out there often. We'll be out there spots 93 to 96. going to be a really, really good time, guys. The TSUS and Big Cock Club flags will be flying as well. Again, guys, really looking forward to it. TSUS tailgate at Seawells, spots 93 to 96. Come on out. Going to be a really, really good time as we get ready for Saturday's game. All right. With that being said, guys, like I told you, I am fired up for this one. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. It's South Carolina tries to snap their two-game losing streak. They step out of SEC play and take on the Troy Trojans in a non-conference matchup. 3.30 kickoff on SEC Network. Of course, the game being played at Williams-Brice Stadium. The Gamecocks sitting right now. The line has not really moved at all all week. Gamecocks are a seven-point favorite, over-under set at 43 and a half. South Carolina does lead the all-time series 3-0, and and the last meeting between the two schools. Guys, who can forget the matchup in 2010 when South Carolina won the football game over Troy 69-24. to Of course, guys, this was actually the week following South Carolina's huge win in Gainesville to clinch the SEC East, and if I remember correctly, South Carolina was up like 56 to nothing at halftime or some crazy number against Troy. Um, so, yeah, so they haven't played a lot, but the Gamecocks have gotten the better of Troy. You know what's really interesting? Kind of a random side note, by the way. Uh, South Carolina's playing Troy in Shane Beamer's first season. The Gamecocks also took on Troy, if you recall, in Steve Spurrier's first season, 2005. I'll never forget. Michael Flint had a touchdown catch in that one, kind of a random tidbit of the day for you if you will but uh yeah haven't played often but the Gamecocks have gotten the better of Troy each time and again should be a very fun and intriguing matchup Saturday afternoon at Willie B breaking down the Trojans just briefly guys and again we talked about them just like everyone else in depth early in like June if you will we did our opponent preview series and all that good stuff uh their head coach Chip Lindsay who's been around the block or two he's got some SEC experience he's in his third year building the Troy football program Troy right now sits guys 
two and two overall. Uh, they won their first game over Southern by a wide margin. Uh, lost to Liberty, twenty-one to thirteen in week two. Beat Southern Miss in week three, twenty-one to nine, and then lost to La Monroe last Saturday night at Malone Stadium in Monroe, Louisiana, twenty-nine to sixteen. So Troy, a little bit of a rocky start, if you will, early in the season, but two and two overall and zero and one in their conference play. They're averaging 26 points per game, by the way, and giving up just 15 points per game. So the defense has been really, really solid. They've got a guy that I'm going to talk about here just shortly that's a really good player. Um, some really good players on this Troy Ross. Let's go ahead and put that out there. Some really, really good football players. Um, uh, definitely a passing-heavy team under Chip Lindsey. 269 yards per game is what they throw it for uh, compared to just, just uh, 75 yards per game, what they rush. They rush for just 2.6 yards per carry so they've got a very similar problem as to South Carolina they actually hold their opponents by the way to 2.5 yards per carry uh so what will give in this game on Saturday afternoon going to be very interesting to see all right guys let's get into our top storylines and really y'all we, we could spend the entire top storyline segment just talking about the offense because I think there are 10 storylines minimum that just center around the offense and what we're going to see out of the Gamecocks offensive production. I mean, the first things first is, does the offense finally get it going this week, right? From the offensive line to Luke Doty to finding consistency in your running back rotation to your tight ends getting involved once again. I mean, what is the deal with this South kind of offense? And what type of adjustments does Marcus Satterfield make? Now, like I told you guys, I'm not ready to bail on Marcus Satterfield. I'm just not ready to do it four games in. But with that being said, there's got to be adjustments made. I mean, bottom line, there have to be adjustments made. And what type of adjustments do we see from last weekend to this weekend? You know, a key for me in this game that I did not list in my keys to the game, but a key in my mind offensively for South Carolina specifically, okay, and whether it be in business, any facet of life, you'll hear people say this. One of the great traits of great entrepreneurs is they fail fast. They fail quickly. And that doesn't mean you just quit when one thing goes wrong, but they have this instinct, this knack of understanding, hey, that's not something that's going to work out. We should do this. We should make this adjustment. You know, kind of knowing when to hold them, when to fold them, if you will. I want to see South kind of offensively I'm not saying completely abandon the run game, but fail fast, fail quickly, make the adjustments quickly. Hey, we all feel you should be able to run the football, but if it's just a, if it's a scenario where you just cannot do so, make the adjustment. If you got to spread them out and you got to throw it down the field, so be it. But you can't spend all game trying to be stingy in the run game and then look up in the fourth quarter, and it's a 13-10 to 10 game. So what type of adjustments does Marcus Satterfield make? Because you're 2-2 two and two right now, which is where I picked you to be. But how it has happened is what I think is very bothersome to most Gamecock fans. And, of course, you get shut out in the first half last weekend. And while you can blame some of it on personnel, certainly, I think you've got holes on your rosters and deficiencies, certainly on the offensive side. You're too good to be shut out in the first half. I don't care who you are playing. So, you know, Marcus Satterfield's been a guy, he's caught a lot of heat this week. And like I told you guys, I am not ready to jump ship when it comes to the Gamecocks offensive coordinator. But with that being said, the three Ps of this season, guys, right? We talked about it. Patience, 
perspective and progress. Progress. I'm not going to hold you to the fire because of last weekend, but what type of adjustments can you show progress from week to week? And if you do that, that means the offense is going to get better. Of course, guys, it starts with the offensive line, right? When we're talking offense, it starts with the offensive line. Is it schematics? Is the scheme too difficult? Again, I will never make light or assume I know everything about offensive line play because as I've told you guys before, the intricacies behind it and the complexities, and it's, it's not as simple as just line up and block the man in front of you. But maybe for South Carolina, it needs to be right now. Because even if you want to argue, hey, you know, the numbers were inflated, this offensive line isn't as good as we saw a year ago. Maybe that's the case, but this offensive line should be far better than what they're showing right now. And you've pushed no one around. No one. I mean, EIU even, we left the stadium, right, guys? Concerned about the offensive line play. Couldn't push a bad East Carolina front around. Can you show any sort of consistency, any sort of improvement against Troy, who, like I told you guys, are they great defensively? Not necessarily, but they have players, no doubt. They've got talent. Something else I'll be watching for in the offense, guys. How healthy is Luke Doty really? And do we see him get at least closer back to the Luke Doty that I think you and I all thought he was going to be in regards to the quarterback run game? And I'm sure that's limiting the offense a ton as well. How healthy is Luke Doty really? You know, Shane Beamer and his media availability this week made the point of, hey, Luke Doty's healthy enough to go, but if we asked him to run a 40 right now, would he run his best 40? No, he wouldn't. So there's no doubt Luke Doty is not 110% right now. But is he healthier than he was last week? Is he healthier than he was a couple of days ago? I mean, what version of Luke Doty are you getting? And if he can give you a closer to 100% version, how much of a positive impact can that have on your offensive game plan? And I think the answer is a massive one, for sure. My final storyline with the offense, again, we're just talking offense right now. I mean, we could spend the entire show talking offense. But my final storyline with the offense, guys, the running back rotation. We all love having a deep running back, having a stable of running backs, if you will. But at some point, I think you've got to trim it down to one or two guys getting the bulk and the majority of the carries. And you're in no position to play favorites. You're in no position to play guys because of what they did last year because it really don't matter what you did last year. If Juju McDowell and Zaquandre White are your top two, I think you got to roll with those two guys. Hey, if it's Harrison Lloyd, so be it. And it's hard to put a lot of blame on those running backs, but hey, Kevin Harris is not like he did a season ago. And whether the back injury, the back procedure, quote-unquote, is to blame, whether it's something else, you know, Marshawn Lloyd has not quite had that explosiveness we thought he'd have. Is it the ACL injury and the recovery from that? I don't know. But how do Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer handle the running back rotation, if you will? Because, again, you love having depth. You love having fresh legs. But if you are going to try to run the football, if you are going to try to build some consistency in the running game, you got to know who RB1 is. And I think you got to know who RB1 and RB2 both are. You got to have your one-two punch because – 
just giving each guy six or seven carries, I don't think it's going to get the job done. You don't allow a guy to get into a rhythm. So long story short, though, when it comes to this offense, what type of adjustments are made? I'm not ready to sell my stock on Marcus Satterfield. I'm not ready to give up four games in the season on Marcus Satterfield. But with that being said, we've got to see adjustments made. How do you adjust from the first four games of the season? Hey, now you're going from SEC play back to a non-conference game and put a lot of respect on Troy. Again, they've got good football players and a good football team. But it's a non-conference game. It's a game where you should be able to have some offensive success. It wouldn't make much sense if you couldn't. So. What does that look like? And can South Carolina find its identity offensively? Can it find its identity? As Alex McGrath said earlier this week, I don't feel like I know what this offense even wants to be. And Marcus Satterfield on Wednesday, in his media availability, said it himself, we don't have an identity right now. Well, you got to start to find one. Because you've got a great opportunity these next three weeks with this game against Troy, Tennessee, and then Vandy. You've got a great opportunity to get to five and two. But you will not get there if you do not have some semblance of an offensive identity and a game plan. Moving off the offense, guys, mother top storyline, how does the secondary hold up against a prolific passing attack? Listen, I am putting all respect on Clayton White's defensive unit and that secondary. Respect is earned, not freely given, but our secondary has earned the respect right now. They have more than done their part. That defense as a whole, with that being said, like I told you guys, Chip Lindsey, Troy is a passing football team. Chip Lindsey's a guy who's been around the block before, right? He's called plays at Auburn. He's been in the SEC. He knows good football, and he knows good offense. They're passing the ball for 269 yards per game, 7.38 yards per attempt. Just in comparison, guys, if you want to know their spread, they have 76 first downs on this season. 48 of them came through the air and just 21 through the ground. So they like to throw the football. And Troy's got some guys on the outside that can hurt you a little bit. You know, Luke Whittemore, Tez Johnson, Reggie Todd, Deshaun Stoudemire, B.J. Smith, some good players on the outside for them. Some really good players. Again, your defense has stood tall all season long outside of the Georgia game, which, again, it's Georgia, right? It's Georgia. And I've doubted your defense all season long. But I'm to the point now where I'm like, you know what? I think this unit has really just made a huge jump from last year to Clayton White. But this will be another test. This will be another test, especially for a secondary where, again, if you look at you, when you look at the defense, you still say the secondary is probably the weak link. In regards to especially depth. So I think Troy's going to try to spread you out. They're going to try to use tempo. What does Clayton White have in store, and how does that secondary hold up against the passing attack that, if you're not careful, can beat you? Another big storyline in this game, guys. Oscar Delp in town for his visit. And I'm really, really hoping and praying for a, a, a solid turnout for the Gamecocks faithful. I mean, listen, I'm not naive enough to think it's going to be a sold-out crowd or look anything like last week, but... Do we put on a show for Oscar Delp? You'll notice the position I did not talk about earlier when talking offense was the Gamecocks tight ends. And I wanted to save that for this, right? And you don't, 
you don't cater your game plan to one recruit in the stadium, but getting the tight ends involved, I mean, it has to happen. It has to happen. That's one of the adjustments I think Marcus Satterfield has to make. Those players are far too good to not be touching the football. Nick Muse, I mean, what's happened to Nick Muse? Where's Nick at? I know he's still on the football team. Jaheim Bell, after looking like a monster in week one, been nowhere. EJ Jenkins, six foot, seven and a half. Does he finally do something for you and get an opportunity? And oh, by the way, not only does it help you win the football game and score points, but hey, it helps show Oscar Delp. Come here, my guy. We want Delp. And you can ball out and be the next great Gamecocks tight end to grace this field. So do we put on a show for Mr. Oscar Delp? And do we finally get the tight ends back involved? You know, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, we all make the jokes of the guy that calls into the coaches show, hey, coach, we're going to throw to the tight end more. Hey, coach, we're going to throw to the tight end more. But I'm really sitting here on this last day of September asking myself, hey, coach, are we going to throw to the tight end more? Because those seem like pretty good players and we're trying to score points. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good idea to get them the football. So what do the tight ends show you this weekend? Another storyline for me, does Beamer Ball make an emphatic return? I feel like Beamer Ball hasn't been quite as, uh, you know, hasn't been quite as big a part of these ball games the last couple of weeks. And we saw it early on in the season. I mean, special teams has been good, don't get me wrong. But do we see Beamer Ball make a big play in this one, whether it be a blocked punt, blocked field goal, a big return? Maybe we'll see South Carolina in the, uh, you know, if they can ever score a touchdown, <laughs> go for two again, the swinging gate play. Um, you know, does Beamer Ball make an emphatic return? I feel like special teams have been kind of quiet the last couple of weeks. And while an offense is struggling, you know what can help an offense? Great defense and great special teams. And right now, until proven otherwise, we need all the help we can get. All the help we can get. So I'll be curious to see what Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo have up their sleeve for this Troy Trojans team. Guys, my final storyline, and arguably the most intriguing, and I think the most important. I told you guys all summer and in preseason, right? When the positive energy and positive momentum and positive, 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 everything was positive, right? Hope springs eternal in the offseason. You know, it's easy to be positive when you haven't dropped a pass, fumbled the football, you know, lost a game when you haven't made a mistake. And I told you guys during the summer, you know, again, it's easy to be positive in those moments during the welcome home tour and when you're picking up a commit and, you know, whatever, dreams and aspirations of what a season may bring. But we knew, and if you didn't know, you should have, but we knew that this South Carolina football team was going to run into adversity at some point this season. And I'm not talking about losing to Georgia adversity where you were expected to lose that game, right? I'm talking about real adversity, like losing to Kentucky on your home field and your fan base, a majority of them, or a fair number of them, I should say, not a majority, a, a number of them with their hand right next to the panic button. This is real adversity South is facing this week. This is real adversity trying to bounce back and snap a two-game losing streak. And as I told you guys, you know, getting to six and six, getting to a bowl game, that's the goal in year one of Shane Beamer, right? Duh, no-brainer. But 
the record in year one, guys, is damn near secondary. And here's what I mean by that. And again, I preached this in the preseason, but I'll continue to harp on it. How you play is nearly more important than what the final score is. And when I'm most intrigued to see, okay, South Carolina has been punched in the mouth as a football team. They have run into real adversity, and they are hearing it from all sides right now. People are upset. They want to change. Some people are questioning the direction of the program, which is lunacy, as I talked about yesterday. But how does this team, these players, this coaching staff, this program as a whole, how do you respond to adversity? And I don't care who the opponent is, right? I don't care who the opponent is. It's almost even more important or something I'm even more intrigued to see because of the opponent. Because, guys, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to sit here and hype up Troy all week and it being something they are not. I'm going to put a lot of respect on the opponent. Troy has very quality football players. But South Carolina should beat Troy, right? I mean, I think that's a fair statement. But I talked about this in early June when I did my opponent preview. That, you know, should South Carolina be on upset alert? The Gamecocks are just a seven-point favorite, guys. Should South Carolina be on upset alert, quote-unquote? Because, hey, this program, guys, like I said earlier, respect is earned, not given. And this program, guys, right now is not at a point where it can take anyone lightly. Yep, that includes Troy. Many of you scoffed at me and, and were and, and just couldn't believe that I picked a four-point game in week two against East Carolina. And I try to tell you then, Gamecocks, that's just who they are right now. And it's okay. It's year one of Shane Beamer, year one of a rebuild, but that's who you are right now. So not only are you taking on a Troy team that I think actually does have some quality football players and has a quality head coach, but you're reeling coming off of two straight losses. Do we see a football team come out there and approach this thing the right way and play like their hair's on fire and be grateful to wear the jersey and, and, and be excited to play in front of their home fans and be excited for the opportunity to play well and snap that streak and win a game? Or do we see a group of guys who hang their heads? Woe is me. Oh, we couldn't do it against Kentucky. We're just no good. We, we got no hope left in our season because that's the mindset of a lot of you fans out there. Oh, you, beat, you lose to Kentucky, season's over. I surely hope the players don't feel that way, and I'm sure that they do not. So how does this team respond? Because do not forget, guys, I hate to be that guy, but don't forget what happened the last time the Gamecocks played a Sunbelt football team on their home field and played a Sunbelt football team in general. They lost to Appalachian State. Who can forget? What a night. So again, it's a game you should win. There's no question. But I want to see this football team, I want to see them respond to adversity the right way. You do that, that will tell me everything I need to know about Shane Beamer and the way he's changing this culture and the way he's changing this program. It will tell me, okay, these guys believe in their coaches, they trust in their coaches, and they're going to go play their asses off for their coaches. Respond to adversity. You knew it was going to hit at some point. Now it's time to buckle up, buckle your chin strap, and respond the right way. All right, let's move to our key matchups to watch, guys, for this weekend's game. We'll start 
on the defensive side, again, the Gamecocks do have a challenge this weekend, I think, in the passing game. Um, and how do you stop a prolific passing attack? Well, you get after the quarterback. My first key matchup, linebacker Brad Johnson against the Troy Trojans quarterback, Taylor Powell. Guys, of course, Brad Johnson, what a year he's having, by the way. Really, truly one of the guys that, you know, has benefited most greatly. One of the guys that's benefited most greatly from a new coaching staff and a new voice and a new culture and a new regime. Brad Johnson playing the best football of his career. Taylor Powell on this season for Troy, 97-140, thrown for 1,008 yards. He's already hit 1,000 yards on the season. Seven touchdowns, three interceptions. Again, a player they're really high on. Again, Chip Lindsey doing a really good job with him. But Brad Johnson, you know, he's been arguably your best pass rusher to this point. So I want to see Brad Johnson in the backfield, getting after him, causing havoc. Again, your secondary's played really well. Jalen Foster's been incredible, but you still, you don't want to ask them to do it all, right? You'll be nothing without a good pass rush. That's any football team that's any defense. So Brad Johnson getting after Taylor Powell, going to be a heck of a matchup to watch on Saturday afternoon. My second key matchup, going to the other side and going to the other team's quarterback. How healthy is Luke Doty really? And even like a 90% Luke Doty is still quicker than a lot of other quarterbacks. With that being said, guys, I don't know if you knew this, Troy features one of the best pass rushers in all of college football right now. In all of college football. So again, my second key matchup, quarterback Luke Doty against the Troy Bandit, which is like our spur basically, but Bandit Javon Solomon. Guys, Solomon's numbers are insane right now through four games. 20 tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks. Guys, this dude has been a nightmare. And as we know, the Gamecocks have struggled mightily on the offensive line. Luke Doty's athleticism needs to be a difference in this football game. It needs to be a difference because, you know, do we want to believe, do I feel the Gamecocks offensive line could make strides this week and improve? Certainly, but realistically, you know, how much are they going to improve? So I think Luke Doty being athletic, getting outside the pocket, avoiding a guy like Javon Solomon, because he's obviously shown he's a really good player. He's going to get back there at some point. And you cannot have those drive-killing sacks, those drive-killing negative plays that put you in those third and longs, guys, that we've talked about. South Carolina is just not built to win in those scenarios and in those situations. So, again, quarterback Luke Doty against bandit Javon Solomon. Watch out for Solomon, a really, really good player on the defensive side for Troy. And guys, my final key matchup, you know, coaching's important. Co coaching's very important, right? There's a reason these guys get paid so much money. And the coach that's had the biggest impact for Sal kind of certainly uh, is Clayton White. What he's done with his Gamecocks defense has been incredible. I preached on Chip Lindsey and raved on Chip Lindsey earlier. And what he's did, his ties, guys, in case you forgot, um, he was an offensive assistant at Auburn in 2013, was the OC at Southern Miss from 2014 to 2015, then was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Arizona State in 2016, and then went back to Auburn 2017 to 2018, was their OC and quarterbacks coach as well. So this guy knows offense, right? And he's got SEC ties. He's been around. My final key matchup, Gamecocks defensive coordinator Clayton White against the head coach and the offensive mastermind for Troy, Chip Lindsay, again, I, I'm very excited to watch this chess match, if you will, because like I said, is, is Troy an offensive juggernaut like one of the best in the country? Not necessarily, but Chip Lindsay is, if you talk to anybody around football, they all respect him as a really, really 
really, really above average offensive mind, a guy who can call up plays, is a beautiful play caller. So Clayton White, going to have his hands full, really excited what type of defensive game plan he devises to get pressure on Powell and to lock up those talented Troy wide receivers. But going to be a lot of fun to see that chess match between those two very, very talented football coaches. All right, that's the key matchups. Let's get into our keys to the game, guys. What does South going to need to do to snap their two-game losing streak and get a big win at home against Troy? This one's a no-brainer, and we talked offense extensively on this show and for good reason. But Marcus Satterfield yesterday, like I told you guys, was asked about what's the identity of your football team. And he said, right now, we don't have one. We don't have one four weeks in. And I appreciate his honesty because South Carolina doesn't. They don't have an identity. And I think one of the things, guys, that – and this is just, just me talking, right? I'm not an offensive coordinator, not a football coach, but – just looking at it, you know, we spent all preseason long hyping up the running game and feeling like the running game was going to be the strength of this football team, and for good reason, right? I mean, you had four or five offensive linemen returning. You had the running back room you had, which some of you argued was the best in the SEC. So there was reason to believe this football team was going to lean on the running game. And so I kind of feel like that's why you've seen to this point, like, we're running it because we feel like we should be able to run it. But at some point, guys, as I mentioned earlier, you got to fail fast and you got to understand, like, you know what? Every season has its own story. The story of last season was Kevin Harris leading the SEC in rushing. But maybe that's not the story of this season. Maybe you're going to have to throw the ball and go downfield and get a little more creative than maybe you expected to. You know, I said in the preseason, guys, again, that South kind of would not win a game this season where they rushed for less than 100 yards and would not win a game when they threw 30 passes or more. Well, to hell with what I said. You got to find an identity. My first key to the game, you have to find an identity. Maybe you can beat Troy without one, but you're not going to win many more games if you can't at least get to the point offensively where it's like, okay, this is what we're good at. This is what we struggle with. This is what we like to do. This is what we don't so much like to do. Find an identity. Find an offensive identity. It starts on Saturday against the Troy Trojans, Marcus Satterfield, and that entire football team making the necessary adjustments. Make an adjustment. Figure out what you're good at. Find your identity and stick to it. My second key to the game, guys, almost on that note, too. You know, many fans were complaining over the fourth down decision by Shane Beamer and, you know, not kicking the field goal down 13 to 7. Guys, I loved it. Give your guys an opportunity to make a play. And my second key to the game, be aggressive. Guys, you're an SEC football team taking on a team from the Sun Belt on your home field. You should not be intimidated. You should be the one doing the intimidating. And how do you do that? Come out the gates flying. Come out the gates with your hair on fire. Be the aggressor. Be aggressive, right? Take shots down the field. Like I said, get creative in the offensive game plan. Send pressure on defense. All due respect to Troy because they've got good football players. But this is a game you should be able to pick on them a little bit. You have SEC caliber athletes. They do not, right? So at home, you're playing with house money. It's year one, guys. That's kind of how I look at it. It's year one. Nobody's losing their job this year. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. If you're going to go down, 
Go down being aggressive. That's why I love the fourth down call. Hey, it hit a guy in the chest, and he dropped it. But at least he gave his players an opportunity to make a play. Be aggressive. I don't think being conservative in a game like this is going to do you any favors, any at all. Don't be vanilla. Don't be predictable. Be aggressive. Get after it. Force Troy into mistakes, right? And then take advantage of them. My final key to the game, guys. I talked about it earlier, and I will continue to harp on it. Respond to adversity. You're facing real adversity right now. This is real adversity after losing to Kentucky. Respond the right way. Make adjustments, like I said. But I will be extremely disappointed if we see a football team come out, oh, woe is me, we lost to Kentucky, I must not be very good, getting down on themselves. That's the greatest coaching job that Shane Beamer has this week. That is the greatest coaching job. Keeping his team fired up, keeping them ready to play, keeping them motivated. Because, hey, this game falls at a very interesting time in the schedule too, right? Sandwiched right between very big games against Kentucky and Tennessee. Now, after losing two in a row, I don't see any way the Gamecocks overlook Troy or overlook this game because this is a very important football game, guys. It's a very important football game. So, my three keys, find an identity, be aggressive, and respond to adversity. And respond to adversity the right way. Respond to it the right way. You do those things, I think you'll be three and two after Saturday. All right, guys, let's get in your listener questions. No news and notes today. Uh, we'll start JG803. How many points are we going to beat Troy by? Tune in tomorrow, my guy. I will lock in my official prediction. Um, Austin G underscore 45, does Satterfield attempt to get more guys involved? Brown, Jenkins, Bell, et cetera. I hope so. I hope so. Hey, if you're not going downfield because you don't trust the guys you got out there right now, try somebody else. Try somebody else, right? I mean, I think that's one thing they are doing. They're, they're kind of searching for, like, who are going to be our consistent week-in, week-out playmakers? Give guys opportunities, man. Give guys opportunities. I, I, I hope they do that. Ecarch08, does Beamer have any input into offensive play calls or is he hands-off? So how involved is Beamer in the offensive play calling? Uh, Beamer, I think I remember him saying in the preseason that he always will have the headset on and he's hearing everything going on, but I think he's letting Satterfield call plays. I, I, I don't think Beamer is, is – I mean, I'm sure he's making suggestions here and there, but I, I, I tend to believe that he is allowing Satterfield to just sort of do his thing. So, hey, if you struggle again offensively this weekend, does he get more hands-on? Who knows? We'll see. Uh, J.A. underscore Cobb, 1960. Do you think we get Oscar Delp? I think it's 50-50. I think we got just as good a shot at Georgia. And, uh, hey, you know what would help on Saturday? Show up, show out, be loud, and uh, let's put on a freaking show for Oscar Delp. Uh, let's see. P.J. Perillo IV. At what point does Greg Atkins' seat get too hot if this offensive line play continues? Well, yeah, if it continues, it's just going to get hot. You know, I, I will say that I'm, I'm not selling my stock on Satterfield. I'm not selling my stock, obviously, on Beamer. But if this offensive line looks this porous for the rest of the season, Greg Atkins might want to sharpen that resume up. Uh, JWBLA3 says, can we please mix up the uniforms this week? I'm all about winning, but come on. <laughs> JWBLA3, I, listen, I don't, I don't decide which uniforms we wear. I wouldn't mind wearing some black this week. I think that'd be cool. Go white, black, white. 
I think that'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't make the decisions. Final question, Mike.Edwards07. Do you think Beamer should take this game to experiment with new schemes with the offense? I mean, definitely try some new things. I mean, you don't want to get too crazy because you're obviously the number one focus and goal is to win the football game. But why not? Try some things out. See what happens, you know? Um, I mean, you haven't been producing otherwise. So, And I think the fan base will appreciate that. Like, okay, they're trying different things. Even if it doesn't work, they're trying different things. So, no, I think definitely that's something I think you'll see Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield do. And like I said, it's just all about making an adjustment, right? That's been my that's been kind of my, like my whole thing all week with people that are just like, fire Satterfield. It's like, are you not even going to give him the opportunity to make an adjustment, respond to adversity? Like, give him the chance. Give him a chance to fail. If South kind of goes out there and puts up 10 points against Troy, then by all means, rip Marcus Satterfield all week next week because he'll deserve every bit of it. But, God, give him the chance to fail, you know? Let's see if they can make an adjustment. Let's see if they've learned from some mistakes of the past few games and can put out, can put out a productive offensive output on Saturday afternoon. All right, guys. Hey, that's it for my Troy Breakdown, guys. Appreciate you all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Your listener questions as well. Always being engaging. You guys make this thing really, really fun. But do not go anywhere, guys. We've got a fantastic conversation, guys. A great interview. And by the way, uh, the reason I'm doing these throwback interviews because I've been doing a couple of them. Number one, it has become increasingly tougher to get guests on the show during the football season for some reason. I, I, everybody's busy. I don't know what's going on. But we'll have more interviews coming, obviously. But there's also, guys, the other reason I'm doing it, there are so many great interviews and conversations I did that I, I feel like so many people have never heard. Like Gamecock legends that people have just never heard these conversations and never heard these interviews. And it's honestly a damn shame. So I wanted to bring them back to light. So again, guys, uh, fantastic convo today from early 2019. Again, this is before I even moved to Columbia to do TSUS full-time. Former Gamecocks tight end, Busta Anderson. What a great conversation we had with Busta back in the day, man. Again, again, of course, obviously Busta, one of the all-time greats and played during the best years of South Carolina football. So really, really dope stuff. Really great conversation. Appreciate Busta Anderson. Awesome dude. I know he's doing well. And again, I appreciate him. Great human being as well. But guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Sincerely, guys, the last day of September here, we'll have our final numbers for the podcast and downloads and all those good things. Uh, I'll post that out tomorrow on social media. But uh, huge month, a record-setting month. We absolutely shattered the previous downloads record for a month, guys. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the continued love and support. Without you guys, TSUS wouldn't be what it is and wouldn't be what it's becoming. So, again, I, I owe everything to you guys, and I'm eternally grateful for each and every single one of you. Anyone who takes even a moment out of their day to – rock with the content, support what we do, and support the Spurs Up show, man. It just, just know that it, it truly it truly means the world to me. I'm, I'm extremely grateful. I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. Without you guys, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to do the things we do. So, again, thank you all so much, guys. Appreciate you all tuning in. Now, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks tight end Busta Anderson. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2011 to 2014, was also taken in the 2015 NFL draft in the seventh round uh, by the San Francisco 49ers. want to welcome to the show former Gamecocks tight end, Busta Anderson. Busta, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. I definitely appreciate y'all having me on, man. Absolutely. Yeah, doing well, doing well. Appreciate you taking the time, man. I want to jump right into it, going back to your high school days. Obviously, you're a kid out of Marietta, Georgia, was a pretty highly regarded recruit. Uh, just talk about sort of your your recruitment overall and what led you to come to South Carolina. 
well for me i i decided to, to stay close to home i had a couple of buddies that i played in high school with and um a buddy that i played growing up with and we all kind of made a, a group decision to come on over to south carolina they were uh, on the upcoming you know they had just recently went to the sec championship and then they actually had beat Alabama the year before I got there when Alabama was number one. So just looking back at it, just, you know, evaluating, the, I guess, my top three teams at that time, I felt like South Carolina was the best best school as far as academically. And then, you know, being in the SEC was somewhere close to home that I wanted to stay. Absolutely. So when you came into South Carolina, you know, I know you were a very high end recruit again, you know, what was the plan? Were you always, did you know you were going to be a tight end? Were you more of a wide receiver? I mean, what was, what was kind of the plan or the plan for you specifically in Steve Spurrier's offense when you got to South Carolina? I mean, I knew I was recruited as a tight end. I mean, I felt like I I was able to do both um, throughout my career and going in, you know, I was, I, I guess I was highly recruited, but, also, I felt like the coaches wanted me to develop a year. And then once I got out there, camp rolled around, I added on some weight. I felt pretty good, and things ended up working out in my favor. Absolutely. So, yeah, your freshman season, I would definitely say you had a ton of success. Um, had three touchdowns that first season. Just talk about sort of, you know, what, what do you think led to that early success so early on in your South Carolina career? Uh, just just building that confidence around the guys, and you know, establishing myself as a as a guy on the team. You know, come in as a young guy, it's hard to just come in and think, you know, that you're going to be the guy just like you were previously in high school. Now you starting back at the bottom. You know, just gaining respect from your teammates and coaches, and eventually being able to, you know, go on, move forward, and do what I did. No doubt. So, obviously, like I mentioned before, you played for a Hall of Famer, you know, legendary head coach and Steve Spurrier. Um, what was your relationship like with him, you know, not only as a player, not only on the field, but off the field and currently as well? Um, overall, Steve Spurrier was a great guy, wonderful coach. Loved being around him. Uh, I actually got a, got a chance to catch up with him probably about a month and a half ago. I ran into him um, when I was previously playing in the AAF when we um, when we played him. I was playing with the Birmingham Mine before things shut down, and uh, just got a chance to catch up with him. I mean, we had a great relationship. He was exactly who you think he is. You know, he's a guy that likes to talk junk. You know, mess around, and obviously he's a player's coach. If you know, if nobody else tells you, he's a hundred percent player's coach. He's always looking out for the best interests of the players. No doubt. So 2011, your freshman season, you know, was not only eventful for you, but obviously for South Carolina. Like you said, South Carolina coming off the uh, 2010 SEC East crown, first time going to Atlanta for the SEC championship. And obviously there were a ton of expectations. Um, Steven Garcia comes into play, obviously the starting quarterback that season um, is dismissed a couple of games through the season. And Connor Shaw takes over. What, what was that like, you know, for you as someone on the offense, what was that transition like going from, um, Steven Garcia to Connor Shawman, did it affect your game at all or what, what, what you were trying to do or what was that like? Um, I think that, you know, during, during the time, it, it was tough on everybody, you know, with, with any team, no matter, you know, no matter if it's, you know, football, basketball, the guy who's supposed to be one of the leaders on your team has to 
exit the team and now a new guy's fulfilling that role and becoming the leader. It was it was a turn turn of events for us, but it worked out for the better. Looking back at it, I mean things things tend to happen for a reason. And I mean I'm not sure why that happened at that time, but I think that kind of turned us right around. For sure. What what was it like playing for obviously you played with him for a couple of years, but what was it like playing for a guy like Connor Shaw or playing with a guy like Connor Shaw? I mean, just a, such a guy that's a, such a a leader on the field and off the field for you guys. Oh, yeah. Connor, Connor just likes Coach Spur. Great guy, great leader. And I think that, you know, he's a guy that leads by example. Earlier on in our career, he was not a guy who was very vocal. But he, he knew how to lead his team, you know, with his play, with the way he – present himself with the things that he did in the community. And I think that, that that's the kind of guy that any coach, any other player will want on their team. You know, not everybody, not everybody's the the vocal leader, but some some of those guys who are the vocal leader don't lead by example. And I think as as the years went on and as he grew and felt more comfortable as, as the guy, he developed more of a, I would say, a leadership role off the field in a sense, not saying that he didn't have that type of role. He just wasn't a vocal guy. <clears throat> right. So, so I think that, I think that we all learned from the way he led us throughout those years, through all the tough times, throughout the up and downs, you know, the injuries, all those we sat back and watched him and learn from what he did. For sure. So obviously you're a guy from Marietta, Georgia. I'll ask, did you grow up a Georgia fan or who was the, uh, who, who was the school you were pulling for as you were growing up, if any? Uh, I would say that I probably was a Georgia fan, but I honestly, I honestly never really had a college team growing up. Mm. And, you know, it's crazy to think that, you know, back before I even thought about South Carolina, I actually had watched South Carolina uh, a few games. I started to I started to get a, become attracted to South Carolina, and it was something that that uh, that inter- interests me because I'm like I wanted to leave the state. I didn't want to stay too close to home. And then as I started to watch watch South Carolina play, I, I recognized Coach Spurry was the was the head coach. I said, okay, they got something good going over going over in Columbia. So as as you know, my career went on in high school. Then I. Finally went into Coach Mangus, which he was my recruiter from South Carolina. He's also um, a guy from Marietta, so that connection worked out pretty well. So it was just something; it was no brainer for me. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, you know, you you were able to beat those guys three of the four years you were there. Um, you know, I just thinking back. You know, obviously, I want to dive into some more detail, especially you think of the 2012 game and. The 2014 mm-hmm. game certainly stand. 2011 as well was a crazy, crazy game. But how much, how satisfying was it? I guess to, you know, be able to go into, uh, you know, you know, beat your home state's uh, home state's team. It was it was amazing. I think that each and every year that we played Georgia, it was just a different feeling for me and almost half our team because we had a lot of guys from right here in the Atlanta area, Georgia, Georgia natives. So, I mean, each and every year we played Georgia, we knew that it was either us or them coming out the East majority of the time. And I think that, you know, that provided extra motivation for us and as well as, you know, bringing our families up to those games meant a lot for us. 
So, I mean, playing Georgia every year, beating them three out of four years, I couldn't, I couldn't ask it to be any other way. I mean, we, we honestly, we dominated them throughout my career, uh, but one year. So I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with the, with the um, outcome of that. Yeah, and I was going to say another team that you dominated as well was the Clemson Tigers. You beat them three out of the four years you were there as well and finished up to five in a row in 2013. But um, you had great games against them. You know, I think instantly your freshman year, 2011, you had a in that game two catches for 57 yards and a touchdown, both coming on the same drive. You had the uh, the long play that I think, you know, stands out for a lot of South Carolina fans where you, you get about 20 yards down the field. looks like you're just going to – drift out of bounds I remember specifically you listen to Todd Ellis on the uh, you know the play-by-play and he he almost is assuming the play is over you spin out of it and somehow tiptoe stay in bounds get down the field and then I think two plays later Connor Shaw hits you in the end zone pretty much wide open for the touchdown but as far as the rivalry is concerned when did you because I'm sure a guy being out of state you know you weren't too too familiar with Carolina Clemson but when did it when did it sink in for you that, that it was it was bigger than just any other game I would say probably my sophomore year, um, just you know, as a freshman going into to you know a new school, new state, a different environment, I was unaware of the Clemson South Carolina uh, rivalry. It wasn't as big as you know watching the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry, you know, being from Georgia. So it was just something that I I was unaware of. But you know, as the years went on and stuff like that, I could say I I developed. A little hate for Clemson, but you know it's also love, and then you know I commend them and what they're doing now. I mean, I, I sit back and talk to my buddies all the time. I'm like, man, it's it's crazy that you know Clemson is, you know, I just seen recently they're going to be the number one team coming out of the preseason. And I'm like, you know, back back when I was playing, we dominated them. You know, they they did well in the ACC and stuff like that, but you know now they just, I mean, I was shocked when they beat Alabama like they did uh, in the national championship um, this year. Yeah, I, I think a lot of South Carolina fans were for sure. But, you know, you guys, again, your freshman year, you close up winning 11 games, first time in school history, um, you know, beat Nebraska. Uh, moving to 2012, obviously, again, a lot of memorable games from your career. But the one I want to jump to, obviously, is the 2012 Georgia game. Um, you had a touchdown catch in that one, but you guys absolutely demolished Georgia 35-7. to It's college game day. It's a night game in Williams-Brice, absolutely sold out, packed to the brim. Um, you know, so many memorable plays in that game. When you think of Ace Sanders' punt return, uh, some have called it the loudest mm-hmm. Williams Bryce has ever been. Just kind of talk about what you remember from, you know, not just that game, but that entire day, that entire experience. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that was also the the game that we had um, some lightning delays. That was so, 2014, because 20, I remember you called that it. Was 2014? Yeah, that was 2014? Yeah, that was 2014. Okay, okay, that, that was 2014. So, <clears throat> leading up to that, the sophomore year against Georgia, you know, we had just – we had beat them the previous year, and it came down to us and them. We had lost another game in the – to an SEC West team, which, you know, uh, missed our chances of going to the SEC championship, although we had beat everybody in the East. And we had only lost to two West teams. Georgia left a bad taste in our mouth uh, the previous year because we had beat them. Then, you know, we beat them again, you know, sophomore year. Now now we're, you know, that game was hands down the greatest game I've ever played in. The, from the atmosphere to the, to the team, Corrado, before the games, 
just the whole field was just surreal. I mean, it was a night game. I think we were the number three team in the country at that time. So yeah. we had a we had a lot we had a lot going for us. And uh that game was just it was just so unbelievable. It w- it went by so fast. All I all I remember from that from that game is is the touchdown I caught in the left end zone, left corner of the end zone by the scoreboard. I mean, it was right over top. We ran wide drag and it was just it broke wide wide open. I think Ace or Bruce might have set like a little pick. I came across and kind of threw it right over the shoulder, and I just walked into the end zone. I mean, and go ahead. I was just saying, was that a night where you guys? I mean, did you know you had a great game plan going in that game? Was it? A, I mean, did you did you expect a? I mean, I, did you expect a blowout like that? I mean, it just seemed that game got out of hand so fast, and from there, obviously, it was just domination all night. Oh yeah, not not at all. We didn't. I mean, we expected them to come out and fight, just as just as they do every year that we play them. I mean, we didn't expect to blow them out. We thought it was going to be, you know, a down to the wire type of game, like it like it usually is. But we just had that extra fire up underneath up underneath our belt, and you know, had had a bad taste in our mouth from last year. And we said we we come out here and you know play to the best of our ability, and everything else will handle the rest. And I think that night, everything came together from offense to defense to special teams. I mean, everything went perfect for us. I mean, Georgia didn't even score till maybe under three minutes left in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, from start to finish, we dominated that game. Yeah, I, I remember being a little, little, little selfishly upset that Georgia got the touchdown. I really wanted the shutout there. But, uh, no, obviously, a, a exactly. short game for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, we we was all pretty upset when they scored at the end, but you know, we was like, you know, we we dominated. We we did what we need to do. We set the, we set a statement, set a tone, and then you know, things went on for the rest of the year. I think that that elevated us for the rest of the year. No doubt. So obviously, again, you played with a ton of South Carolina legends during your time at Carolina, but one specifically I know is probably close to home to you. Uh, Justice Cunningham, a guy you were able to play with, I'm sure he was mentoring your mentoring you a little bit, um, and someone that was. Uh, it's funny, I always remember because he was Mister Irrelevant in the NFL Draft, but a guy that certainly wasn't irrelevant at South Carolina. I mean, made tons and tons of big plays for Carolina, and really, I think the thing that stands out, to not just me but other South Carolina fans, is the passion and drive he played with on the field. I mean, I think everybody thinks of him in the uh, the play against Vanderbilt where he got. I guess he got decked and got up, shook his dread. I knew exactly you. I knew yeah, that's one everybody goes back to because it's just like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's kind of crazy, but he's got that, he's got the fire for sure. But what, what did you learn, you know, from playing beside him or being in the same position group as him? Uh, I learned, I learned uh, a lot, a lot from Justice. He was uh, a great mentor for me during during his time and my time together at South Carolina. You know, coming in as a young guy, he was a guy that was established, had um had made big plays throughout the years and was a guy that helped me, you know, understand the game, understand the pace, because obviously coming, you know, straight from high school and, you know, getting thrown out there, you know, as a freshman, you know, I'm first, I'm trying to, you know, remember all the plays and make sure I know all my stuff. I'm nervous. I'm excited, you know, emotions everywhere. And he was a guy that helped calm me down before the games and make sure my head was right, make sure that, you know, I was doing what I needed to do to prepare myself for these games. And, you know, learning behind him elevated me when when he left. You know, I learned a lot from in the run game, in the pass game, stuff I just 
you know, as a high school kid, you don't really understand, you know, and it was amazing being behind a guy that that's been around, you know, it, it wasn't like me and him came in the same year. He was established and played behind other great tight ends at, at South Carolina. So he learned a good bit from, you know, other guys previously and then passed it on to me. And obviously the things that he, that he already knew, he passed it on to me as well. So I just try to do the same thing for the young guys. No doubt. So I, won't, I, won't, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but the 2012 Missouri game, I want to mention that one as well. You, got a, you caught a touchdown in that one, but the question I have for you, have you ever played in a game where your quarterback had as good of a game as Connor Shaw had that day? I think he was, what, 20, 20 for 21, completed 20 passes in a row. I mean, have you ever – have you ever? I mean, as, he was almost perfect. Yeah, almost literally the only one – again, the first pass of the game where I think he was trying to hit Marcus Latham on a dump off and it just, just came up short. But, I mean, have you ever – you know, played a day with a quarterback that's had as good of a day as Connor Shaw did that day? Honestly, I mean, no. I mean, he could have, he could have, you know, sat back and threw the ball with his eyes closed and he, he, he would have hit anybody that day. I mean, he was just on the money. You know, things were, he was in his rhythm, in his zone. And I felt like that was just, you know, a statement game for him. I think at that time, Missouri had just entered the SEC and, mm -hmm. you know, it was big talk about them uh dominating the east being a new team and they they did well and came in and you know made a name for themselves so i think that was a statement game for for him and as well as for us no doubt so i want to go back sort of to because again you played in a lot of big time games at williams bryce i already mentioned you know the georgia game a sanders punt return you're obviously on the field 2013 against clemson you had a pretty good game in that one you know i think of 2014 georgia where you had the touchdown and uh I forget the, the kicker's name slips my mind, but Georgia's kicker missing the field goal late. There's been a lot of talk about some of those were the, the loudest moments in Williams-Brice Stadium history. What would you say, in your opinion, if you had to pick one, would you say was the loudest you ever heard Williams-Brice get? Definitely that uh, 2012 when we played Georgia. I mean, it was, like I said, the atmosphere, everything was perfect. You know, the crowd was unbelievable. It was a night game with number three. It would never be another game that I've ever played in uh, prior to that and after that that has been even closer to the atmosphere. I mean, you can ask, you know, those Georgia guys from that 2012 year and they can tell you that that was probably the loudest state they've ever been in. No doubt. So another guy you were teammates with um, kind of on a uh, – not about a negative note, but uh, Marcus Lattimore was obviously a guy you got to spend two years with and play with. Obviously his season tragically ending against Tennessee – um, in 2012, just kind of talk about, you know, I guess your relationship with Marcus Lattimore and just kind of what it was like to play with a guy like that. Um, it, was, it was amazing. He's uh, a great leader. He's a guy that, you know, was always helpful to young guys because, you know, being being a guy that the number one guy, you know, everybody telling you the best thing since sliced bread, you wouldn't expect a guy like that to be as humble as, as he as he was as he is it's it's crazy because you know you meet a lot of guys and you know a lot of guys have big egos and that's not who he is I mean he's a, a, a people's person you know he puts others before before himself you know playing with him was it reminded me of um a buddy I played with back in high school that passed away they had they was pretty similar and um you know their demeanor and the way they approached the game and you know, the way they, their outlook on life and stuff like that. And it was just – it was almost like, man, you know, this could have been, you know, 
my my buddy. He could have been in his position, but you know things happen for a reason. And you know now that he's back around South Carolina, helping those young guys out, you know I think I mean I commend him for for everything that he's doing because he's in the best position for himself and as far as the the uh, the program he needs he needs to ha- you know they need to allow him to you know have his hands in with them kids you know get his hands on those kids and get to talking to them because you know not every kid knows that you know maybe after these four or five years it'll be over with you know maybe next year it'll be over with y'all got to have a plan for the future absolutely so following the 2012 season if you will the bowl game against Michigan Outback Bowl Talk about the clowny hit. What you were on the sideline. What was it like seeing that hit from the sidelines? It's crazy because um that video have has surfaced um a lot recently. Uh at least for me it has. Um I think the the play prior to that, they we 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 clearly got a first down. And I mean it's it's clear and I think the ref calls it a fourth down, a turnover, something, something crazy. It was an unbelievable call right before that. that yeah, they, that, they went for it on fourth down, and uh, it looked like we stopped him – or South Carolina stopped him short, and they gave him the first down. I remember, yeah. That's what it was. And, I mean, literally, I've, I've been seeing this video because people have been tagging me on Instagram. Like, man, you, you was upset. And then literally the next play, that's that's when the, the hit happened. I mean, it was so loud. I mean – the guy helmet went flying off. I mean, the whole stadium was excited. Everybody was jumping up and down the sideline. I mean, it was just—it's crazy that that hit turned out to be what it is today. I mean, honestly, Clowney made those type of plays at practice. You know what I'm saying? He—he mm. he has done those, made those similar plays throughout his career. It was just the timing and the physicality of it. I mean, after that, I mean, didn't really hear much about the, that guy uh, that he hit after that situation. I mean, <laughs> I don't think he came back into the game after that. Hmm. Did, did you I mean, ever? That was a hard. I was going to say, did, did you ever face Clowney in practice? I and mean, I know being a tight end, you know, probably wasn't always. Your oh, response, every day. But, yeah. What was that like? Every, every day. I mean, he made me a, uh, a lot better. I mean, I was a guy that, that had to develop he was a guy that you know been number one guy he he was already he already had it you know so I use him as my motivation going going against him every day I mean he beat me a lot of times uh, I mean a lot of times but I use that as you know as motivation but you know like I said you know playing with that guy going up against that guy every day at practice made me a better player allowed me to do the things I was able to do throughout my career I mean I would say if I didn't have the the Clownies or the, the Melvin Ingrams, the Stephans on on my team going to get going up against those guys on defense every single day, I, I would I would say I probably would have never made it to the NFL. I mean, those guys helped develop me as a player, as a person. So I I, I give all my respects, all my commitments to those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You think back, you know, they, they say iron, iron sharpens iron. I mean, certainly for you guys. I mean, you think about the defenses you guys were, were facing up against in practice every day. I mean, guys that are pro bowlers now in the NFL on that side of the ball, it's crazy when you look back and, you know, you see those names, if you will. But, you know, moving to the second half of your career at Carolina, you know, you caught eight touchdowns over your first two years, only one touchdown over your last two seasons. I know, Busta, you were a guy that battled some injuries and stuff like that. But 
when you take a look back, I mean, what would you say changed for you? Because, I mean, the production was still there as far as catches, yards, stuff like that. But what do you think changed for you overall as to why you weren't able to get in the end zone? Um, I just think that, you know, over the course of time, you know, we had other guys on the team, you know, that that were making plays. So I think that's just kind of how that went. I mean, I wish things would have worked out a little bit better um, from my standpoint. But, I mean, I'm not a selfish guy. I'm a, I'm always – always been a team guy, team first um, before anything. So I just think that, you know, we had other guys on the team that were great players. I mean, we had Bruce Ellington. We had Nick Jones. We had Pharaoh. We had Shaq Rowland. We had playmakers on offense. We had Mike Davis. You know, if nothing was open, Connor could run. I mean, it's a lot of things that could tie to what happened with my production. But things worked out for us. We went 11 and two, three years straight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I'm happy with, with, with uh, the way my career went. I mean, obviously, you know, you have some regrets. You have some things you wish you could have did differently. But, you know, overall, I'm satisfied. No, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, your production from the uh, receptions and yard standpoint actually increased over those last two years. But 2013, I, I got to ask, you're probably going to hate me for asking you this, but the game at Tennessee, how in the world does Marquez North hold on to that football and Tennessee go on to win that game? I don't know. It was an unbelievable catch. I mean, literally, he caught it over the back of a defender. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean that 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 was now that was another another pretty pretty loud stadium that I, that I've been to as well. But I mean they just came out and and played played us the best that, best that they could. And I mean honestly before that I don't think I think that was only only game that we may have lost to Tennessee in my career if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But that was you know we had beat them probably you know five times in the, in the past few years. So. And I know Coach Perry always, you know, that was a, always a team that he definitely wanted to beat, you know, being that he was from the Tennessee area. So, you know, with that with that crucial catch there towards the end of the game, it kind of put us away. And, you know, we just had to move forward from there. No doubt. Well, I will say you guys bounced back in a big way. Obviously, you go – it's funny. You go to Missouri the next week in a game that looked, uh, you know, Prospects look grim of winning it, obviously. I don't think Dylan Thompson played badly in that game. Just some things happened. And, you know, I don't think any South Carolina fan will ever forget Connor Shaw coming off the bench, saving the day. You guys win that game in overtime. Just talk about what you remember from that game at Missouri. Again, a game you had three catches for 38 yards. But, I mean, what do you remember from that game and Connor Shaw's heroics and all the craziness that happened that night? Well, like you said, you know, nobody expected Connor to play that game. I mean, we knew he had – I think he had a knee injury, some some type of knee injury going on around that time. So, that, you know, didn't allow him to play um, to start the game off. And, you know, things – you know, chips fell the way they did. And, you know, it allowed Connor to come back in the game and, you know, pull an, pull an amazing comeback. I mean, I think Bruce caught the game-winning touchdown. They Their kicker – missed uh missed a field goal right at the end that could have either put the game away or tied the game up. I'm I'm not sure uh what exactly it was. But that game was it was freezing cold. It was a night game and it was obviously we it was a, a must win situation for us, being that they were a team in the East and they were a team that, you know, it was at that point it was them, us and Georgia coming out the East. And 
it was just a game that we we had to have getting on the road a night game we knew that you know we had to bring that extra fire with us because if not we'll you know we'll eventually fall and become the third team at, at, at that time so we knew that we had to come out and you know start off fast made a few uh big plays early in the game uh and then things slowed down for us we got down and then we end up, you know, coming back and Connor did what he did and put on the show, and we won the game. No doubt. So, again, the 2013 season ended on a very high note. You guys beat Mississippi State, beat Florida. Again, I mentioned in a game where you had three catches for 69 yards and one specific long play. I remember where you go up and just absolutely moss a guy. I love that highlight. But uh, um, <laughs> the game I want to talk about is the 2013 Clemson game. You know, obviously at this point you've learned, you know, you talked about it earlier, but you, you kind of figured out what that game really meant, the hatred between the two sides. But 2013 Clemson, you guys beat those guys pretty good when you're fifth in a row. What did it mean, I guess, just after the game? And knowing that was senior night for a lot of the big-time guys, you know it's probably senior night for a guy like Davion Clowney. Like, what what did that mean to get a fifth straight win over your, over your hated rival? Oh, uh, it, was, it was great. I mean, going into their stadium, going into, you know, their home and, you know, being able to play as well as we did. And I think that that's the game that Dylan, Dylan started and played the whole game. And we didn't expect him to play at all. He came out and played, played well and led us, you know, essentially we beat him with our backup quarterback at the time. And, you know, obviously the next year he, he went on to be, to be the starter and did great things. But uh, that game was it was a, it was a different feel. We knew that you know this is the last game of the season for us, and we knew that it was a big game. Obviously, been our rivalry game, but not having our our leader in Connor Shaw that game, it, it you know kind of gave us a different feel. But once we got got rolling and Dylan got got back there and felt comfortable with you know with the protection and with the with the throws and stuff like that, I mean we we clicked. I mean, things end up working out well for us, and uh, we end up coming out with a uh, win that game. No doubt. So, as a pass catcher, as a guy on offense, you know, I talked about the transition from Garcia to uh, to Connor Shaw. Was was there anything different? Anything you had to change with your game versus uh, you know Connor Shaw and Dylan? I, I know Dylan obviously extremely talented, had a great year in 2014. But what were maybe some of the differences of playing, you know, with Connor Shaw versus Dylan Thompson? Um, both great quarterbacks, both with, with amazing arms. Uh, the difference I would say between those two guys is Connor was just a little bit more mobile and, um, than, than, than Dylan was. I mean, I knew that, you know, if he broke down, Connor could make a play with his feet, but if the play broke down on Dylan's part, then he would have to make, he would have to make the play with his arm. So just, you know, those guys are great in their own ways and have a niche at what they do and stuff like that. You know, one guy's a better runner. One one guy's maybe a better maybe a better passer. So you know, quarterbacks are different. You know, players are different. It's just you got to make adjustments. Uh, you know, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, you got to make adjustments on the fly. So you know, it wasn't it wasn't too bad switching over to to Connor. We I mean to Dylan knowing that, you know, I think he had probably a stronger arm at the time than, than Connor did. So we felt comfortable in the past game, especially as, you know, receivers and tight ends. You know, we knew that uh, no matter what, Dylan had to make the play with with his arm, you know, and Connor had the, uh, the versatility to do 
do other things with his feet, which extend the play in different ways. For sure. So you guys go into 2014 again, you win the 2014, uh, I believe it was the Capital One Bowl against Wisconsin. Um, you go into 2014, you know, you're into your senior season, you, you know, you've lost a ton of guys, but ton of talent coming back. South Carolina is a preseason ranked top 10 team. You're going to a huge showdown against Texas A&M, the debut of the SEC network, all that good stuff. I mean, going from 2013, 2014, in, in your honest opinion, I mean, did you, did you expect any sort of drop off, um, you know, from the success you guys had had the first three years? Cause I know from the fans perspective, you know, it, it kind of felt like one of those things where you're like, hey, you know, you lost some guys, but this train's going to keep rolling. I mean, Dylan Thompson's very capable. We've already seen what he can do. I mean, I think as a fan, yeah. you sort of just kind of assumed, like, you know, you, you, you felt like you were never going to lose again. You know what I mean? But, like, as a player, did you, did you expect any sort of drop-off after you lost all those talented guys in the NFL? Absolutely not. I mean, I think we had guys that, um, that came up behind those guys that, that went on to play in the NFL. And those guys passed on their knowledge to to the uh, to the young guys that were coming up behind them. So I felt comfortable. Literally, I was 100% comfortable going into the year. You know, had no worries, thinking you know that we were going in. You know, gonna you know do what we do. You know, we was 11 in, in two for three years in a row. So why would I expect anything different? You know, my senior year, especially you know knowing you know it's my senior year. You know, a lot of guys that I came up with. This is our last year to go out here and put on the show for, for, for our family, our friends and, and, and for the fans. So we didn't, we had no doubt in our mind that, that we would, you know, be a, a, a you know, a contending team for the uh, SEC championship that year, but things didn't work out the way we expected. So, you know, we, we, I think we ended up seven and six by the, by the end of that year with the ball game. So mm. things just didn't go, the the route we intended it to go as well as you know similar to the years previously for sure well one game I do definitely want to highlight I already mentioned a little bit earlier is the 2014 South Carolina Georgia game you already mentioned the game that was delayed an hour and a half by lightning and I mean honestly it turned out to be one of my favorite South Carolina games ever I was in the building it's a game I always love going back on YouTube and watching because it was on it was honestly a great football game back and forth both teams yeah, scoring, definitely was. a lot of drama one of your best games in Garnet and Black five catches 67 yards had a touchdown where you go over the top catch the catch the touchdown in the back of the end zone thought it was a great play but uh just talk about that game in general. I mean, again, I know it had to feel really, really good after 2013. You guys went to Athens and just missed out on beating them. Um, I'm sure it had to feel good as a senior, you know, being able to get that win over Georgia, you know, on, in Williams-Brice and, you know, have a touchdown in the process. Oh, yeah. Um, going back to that game, like uh, like I mentioned, that was the game that we had to lighten delays. And, you know, they kept saying, oh, we got another 20 minutes. Then that 20 minutes come by, and they say we have another. So, I mean, a lot of guys were laying around. I mean, I, I, I think I took like a quick 15-minute nap before that game just because it was so many lightning delays. And, you know, our emotions was getting so high, getting ready for the, for the game to start. And then, you know, the, the time to get extended again. So, it was a lot of up and down before the game. Then we finally got out there. The, the weather was sunny. It was nice. It, it was a little wet, but, you know, everything was, was just how we wanted it. And we came out there and and played played well. I mean, I, like I said, I I uh, caught a touchdown uh, in the end zone over the top of a defender, which happened to be my buddy uh, Marlo Herrera from Georgia, and uh, I got a chance to train with him coming out of uh, 
coming out for the draft um, that year. And it was funny because, you know, I would always mess with him and pick on him about that catch. I mean, even knowing, you know, if you look at my IG now, I probably got a picture of me uh, going over the top of him. He probably some somewhere down in the comments uh, saying something crazy. But, you know, that game was a, a special, special game for me. You know, beating Georgia at home my senior year. I mean, I couldn't ask to, you know, to go down any other way. I mean, I had I had a, a great game. You know, I felt good about what I did. I think that was uh, – I used that as momentum to, to finish out my, the rest of my career. There yeah, I was, South Carolina, so. yeah, I was going to say, Marlo Herrera, I, I remembered specifically the guy you went over. I was like, he, he was a pretty good player in his own right. So, really uh, – Oh, yeah. Really great, good great player. player. Definitely makes it even better that you guys are friends because I know you probably give him a ton of shit about that every time you see him. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, uh, I think I think our uh, – I, I think somebody may have printed that picture off and had to sign it, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> just, just, to, just to mess with us, but, you know <laughs> – we we sit back and talk about that, you know, when we catch up. I mean, I, I spoke to him maybe a few weeks ago, just trying to catch up with him, see what he had going on and stuff like that. But, you know, we always – I'm always look back at that as a memory. You know, one of these days I, I'm going to either get it, you know, a, a blow up of that or get a, a, a picture painted of that and have it up in my home one day. <laughs> There you go. Well, your 2014 season, again, your South Carolina career did end on a high note. You guys beat Miami in the bowl game. Um, NFL draft rolls around, 2015 NFL draft. You're taken in the seventh round, 254th pick overall with the San Francisco 49ers. Just talk, I know, as a guy that obviously went on to play big-time college football, you know, that's something that was probably a dream of yours your entire life. Just, just talk about what it felt like when you got the call and you were selected by San Francisco. Man, I was uh... – just home with my family and you know uh uh to be honest I was kind of upset the, uh, during the draft because I, I thought I expected to go a little a little higher than I than I went but you know things worked out the way you know the, the exact way it was supposed to you know just sitting at home with my family you know eating good having you know having a good time just waiting on my name to get called I finally get the phone call and you know they're, they're, they're calling me from San Fran like you know we're going to take you with the next pick. And I was just overly excited with emotion. I was happy. You know, my family was around. I mean, the rest of the night ended up being amazing after that. I mean, it was a dream come true. You know, a kid that has been, you know, running around playing football since he was five years old. You know, I always had dreams and aspirations of uh, NFL, NFL career and stuff like that. And, you know, finally got my chance, got my call. And, you know, everything – went on and got out there to San Fran my rookie year. And, you know, things didn't go the way I expected, which I'm used to the up and downs and stuff like that. I mean, battling with injuries and stuff like that, which eventually slowed down and or sort of ended my career in a sense. But, you know, I, I got a chance to go back to school, finish my degree. Um, I got a chance to coach. Uh, at the collegiate level, I mean, I've done a lot of things since uh, since my playing days, and then also I got a chance to play again this past uh, this past year with the with the new AAF before it was uh, unfortunately uh, discontinued. So I mean, you know, going on after the draft, things were just amazing. You know, living my dream out there in California, and I never had been to California a day in my life, so. 
you know, going to a new environment, going to a new city, new people was just an amazing feeling. And then I was, you know, able to do something I love doing. So it couldn't have been a better, a better situation for me. No doubt. I was going to say, it'd be really cool too, that the 49ers also drafted Mike Davis. I know they took, uh, they signed Dylan Thompson, Bruce Ellington was there. So definitely, uh, a couple of Gamecocks with you for sure. But, uh, oh, you know, yeah, that, that was, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I know that had to be a really cool feeling to have those guys you play with in college with you in the NFL as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a guy like Bruce who was there uh, prior to uh, me, Mike, and Dylan's arrival was, was just a great feeling, you know, going to a team where you already knew guys. So, I mean, it wasn't like you had to, make new make new friends all over again and you know just start all over you already had guys that that you knew already on the team that had friends and that you felt comfortable with you know it's just a different you know meeting new people new environments and stuff like that you know not everybody is just uh the same so I mean it was amazing feeling going in there with my quarterback my running back and my receiver so I mean we had essentially you know our our, our core offense right there in, in the NFL together. No doubt. So, yeah, I mean, again, your NFL career, you know, that first year you did catch a touchdown pass in the preseason game against San Diego on September 3rd, 2015. Um, but when you look back on your NFL career, again, you bounced around from the, the Niners to Chicago to Buffalo, uh, which eventually led you to the Birmingham Iron of the AAF, which I want to talk about in just a second. But when you look back on your career in the NFL, what, what do you think what – what do you take away the most from it? What did you learn? Um, just learning to adjust on the fly. I mean, you know, going in, you know, guys have a a false sense of what the NFL life or job is. You know, a lot of, a lot of the outside world don't really understand, you know, the time, the, the dedication, the perseverance that you got to have going into, you know, going into something like that. It's not a regular, it's not a regular nine to five. This is, this is your life. It's your livelihood. A lot of people don't don't realize that, especially you know, you know, when you sit back and listen to the media and the things that they say about players, like these, these are these people's lives on the line, you know. So with that being said, is I look back and I learned that, you know, just adjusted on the fly, I learned I learned a lot of things just that I didn't realize at the time that I know now. And I look back at those situations like, you know what, you know, a couple years ago I, I didn't have that same mindset. Now and now I have a, a totally different mindset, and I wish I would have took you know a few different avenues, a few different approaches. But like I always say, you know, you can't you can't uh, change the past, and you know you live with live with everything that 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 you did, what went on, stuff like that. And you know, fortunately, uh, I got in Chicago and uh, ended up having a knee surgery, and that's kind of that's kind of what. I guess push NFL teams away from re-signing me, and then um, I guess the following year after I had got um, got healthy from from that knee injury, uh, got a chance with Buffalo. But it was you know it was the last preseason game, so it was just more of a uh, for a numbers game than it was a, an opportunity. Which which kind of disappointed me because I had put in a lot of work to get back healthy to get back to you know, my, get my body back in the plan form mm-hmm. and, you know, finally getting picked up and, you know, thinking that I was, you know, I got picked up the last preseason game uh, by the Buffalo Bills and thinking, oh, I was on the least signed practice squad and things didn't work out. Uh, and after that, 
didn't really have too much opportunity. So I went back to school and got my degree and stuff like that. And like I said, I went on to coach and got back in the plan and stuff like that. So it's been a roller coaster ride, but I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I was going to say it definitely sounded like, you know, you hear it all the time that the NFL is a business, the NFL is a business, you know, professional sports are a business, but it definitely sounds like you're a guy that, I mean, you learned that certainly firsthand, I would say, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you you, you learn that quick if you don't learn it uh, at all. You'll, you'll learn it quick. But it's definitely business, you know. You have a mindset going in, like, you know, it's your dream, but you got to take the business approach as well. It can't just be a Okay, I'm going to play football. This is this is about you. You know, this how this how you're gonna feed yourself, feed your family. You got to take that serious. And a lot of people, a lot of me, every, we we all take it serious, but you know, people don't realize like how serious it, how serious it is. Especially you know, guys fresh off the draft, going in and you know, getting drafted and stuff like that. You know, you you on a high horse at that point. And not really realizing that, okay, this is a real business. Yeah, once I get there, I'm back at the bottom of the totem pole. I got to work back. I got to get back and, and, and work harder. Because the guys been in, been on that team or been in the league, you know, nine, ten years. They've been doing this nine, ten years. You're a rookie coming into the NFL, you know, thinking that you're going to be the guy. And realize, okay, if 50-something other guys on the team that, that think the same exact way. No doubt. So, yeah, like you mentioned, August 2018, you joined the uh, joined the staff at Assumption College as a graduate assistant. Um, what did you I, learn? Um, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I I, I was n- exactly I was not a graduate assistant at all. I was a just a receivers coach. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I, I I read I read up on that in an article. I'm like, they thought I was a, a grad assistant, <laughs> but. I, <laughs> If I was a grad assistant, I would have just probably stayed in South Carolina and been a grad assistant there. Uh, I, I got an opportunity um, from a from a former uh, grad assistant by the name of Tommy Gop. He is now the uh, officer coordinator up there at uh, Assumption, and I and I thank him for uh, allowing me to start my coaching career uh, at Assumption as well as uh, Andy McKenzie, which is the head coach up there. Those two guys gave me the opportunity, you know from a guy with no coaching experience to, you know, come in and be able to, you know, handle a room of 17 guys, you know, and me being on the younger uh, spectrum is, you know, it was a little different approach for me than it was some of those guys who've been coaching for years. So it was a, a learning curve. I uh, learned a lot, you know, about the game that, that I did not know just from the playing side. I mean, coaching was probably one of the best things that I, that I could have done for, for, for myself. And uh, eventually when I got the opportunity uh, to play in the AAL, I looked back and I realized, man, you know, going up there and, and coaching for a year really benefited me, you know, just as a as a player. Because I didn't realize how much I learned as a coach that I didn't understand as a player. Just because you just, you know, as a player, you're just used to doing your job, doing what you told, making sure you're handling your business. So, you know, the uh, overall understanding of what's really going on it's not really something that you're really worried about. But now when you get on the coaching aspect, you got to see how our parts move as one. So I think that that benefited me a lot and, you know, allowed me to be able to go out there and make the roster and make the team. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, it got shut down. So, you know, back to the drawing board. 
No doubt. I was just going to ask. It's funny. I was reading up on it, like you're mentioning that you you actually faced off against uh, Coach G. A. Mangus that first game when you were with Assumption. But as far as coaching as a whole, I mean, is that something that uh, you're looking to do? If you know, as far as if playing maybe after you your playing career is over, is that something you'd want to do? Is get into you know get really heavily into coaching? Yeah, I mean, I always um, I always wanted to to be a coach after I after I finished playing. I mean, I always wanted be able to get the game back to to the younger generations of young kids because you know growing up it wasn't didn't always have a guy like myself that would come back and you know excuse me tell the kids how you know the real life experience is what really goes on in in the college scene the the NFL scene because like you know like I always, like I said earlier you know people have a false sense of what it really is so I just try to try to you know get these kids uh to understand like you know you gotta you gotta put all the time and all the effort into into your your school work and and your and your sport because at the end of the day you may not you may not finish your career uh as an athlete in in college or you may not make it as a pro so it's just things you gotta you gotta sit back and realize you gotta make plans for the future and and do things for you not just because somebody told you you was good at it. No doubt. So, like you mentioned, again, you get an opportunity with the Birmingham Birmingham Iron in the AAF, which I think, a, you know, was a great league. Obviously, did a lot for a lot of guys. Obviously, we had a guy like Elliot Fry on our show did something, you know, did wonders for him. He just sounded the Chicago Bears. But, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. I think it's been interesting. Obviously, the league sort of just shuts down out of nowhere. I mean, we, you know, you heard some things, I guess, during the season about certain funding but I know I certainly didn't expect the league to shut down the way it did and I've read a bunch of stories on guys like the ways they found out and just kind of sort of the shock and guys being like thrown on the street I mean for you personally what what was it like to get that call I mean I'm sure again you were shocked as well just to hear that the league had been completely shut down well yeah it was uh very it was very disappointing for for everybody you know, luckily, I was a guy who was close by. I was right there in Birmingham, and, you know, it's nothing but two hours for me to get to get home. So, luckily, I was in a position where I had my vehicle, and when the league shut down, I was able just to jump on the road and come home. But, you know, for guys, I had guys on the team that was from California and stuff like that. So, when the league shut down, you know, obviously, you know, guys end up, they end up having to kick guys out of these hotels that they had everybody in due to the fact that, that these hotels were not getting funded any, any more money from the league. So it kind of left them up in the air. You know, they had a, they went from a, you know, a hotel full of, full of players to, to those guys having to leave all at once due to the way in which the, uh, the league folded. And so the dive more, the dive more into how the league folded. So I think after, after the first game, there was a talk. Uh, there was talk about the league um, running out of money. So you know, guys, you know, we we go through the first game, and um, we're getting ready for payday, and the paychecks don't drop. So you know, guys are trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, and you know, all type of stuff, trying to see, you know, where where's the money, when it's gonna get here. Uh, so we just go about it. Then next week comes, and we play our game. And we still haven't got our check from the first game. So we like, you know, kind of we, – we all at, you know, unease at this point and trying to figure out, you know, when, when we're going to get paid and stuff like that. You know, granted, guys, you know, like for myself, 
I was coaching, I, I could have still been coaching at the time, but I, I dropped everything I had going on to uh, pursue my dream again, getting a second opportunity. And I think that's what that's where I hurt a lot of people at because, you know, a lot of people, I guess, stuck their neck out in a sense because they quit what, doing what they were doing to pursue their dream again for it to collapse in the way it did. So when the guy explained that uh, that the that the money was running low, it was a guy, not sure who he is, he invested his $250 million into the league, and then finally everybody received paychecks. You know, things went quiet. So, you know, things were cool running up as normal after we got our money. And then, you know, right the week before the league ended, um, the guy who was the majority owner of the league threatened to shut the league down uh, due to uh, the NFL and the NFLPA not cooperate with some demands that, that, that he wanted. So, you know, that last week we finished and had our last game, that, that last game that we ended up having. So then that following Monday or Tuesday, I think it was, that's when, you know, you got that call saying, you know, it's, it's over with, you know, everything's shut down and team meetings and clearing lockers out and, and stuff like that. It was just, everybody that, you know, just shocked. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Great. I, I, it's funny. I don't think a lot of people know about kind of what you were talking about in the beginning, guys not getting paid for, you know, multiple weeks. I, I think that's something you don't really hear on the outside. So that's, no, that's crazy to hear. Um, as far as your personal yeah. career, you know, Busta, what's, uh, what would you say you think is next for Busta Anderson as far as maybe on the field, <clears throat> field coaching, playing? What are you thinking? Um, right now, I mean, I, I did uh, – I signed up for the XFL just because it was something that uh, – as soon as, soon as the league collapsed, they were, they were offering to sign guys, you know, just fill out applications and stuff like that or sign up. So, I'm going sit, to sit back and, you know, continue to – continue to pursue my uh, playing career and, and working out and, you know, trying trying to get back in the door. But uh, also um, I'm in the process of starting my own foundation where I'll be uh, mentoring, you know, kids and stuff like that. Just trying to get, give back to the community, try to uh, get more involved with some, some more community events and stuff like that. And I also, um, also have a uh, photography business that, I, that I'm uh, launching this summer and I'm, I'll actually be uh probably come up to the Columbia area at, at some point. So we could we uh where are you you in Columbia, correct? I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina. So but I am oh, always yeah. down in Columbia, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well the next time I'm up in there we gotta gotta get together. But um back to what I was saying as far as my photography business. Um I've been into photography for a while now. I, I, I got into it due to, you know, traveling and stuff like that playing in the league I was like you know I wanted to document you know stuff and just have stuff on record then things went you know the way it did I got more dived into it because I had more free time being that I wasn't playing ball and stuff like that and I made a decision that uh I wanted you know make a career out of it, something I enjoyed doing and something that I always took me away from the game uh when I needed to get when I needed to be away from the game so in, in the, for instance, like when I had my knee surgery and stuff like that, you know, obviously with, with any, any guy, any, any athlete, when you're not doing what you love doing or what you think that you're supposed to be doing, you, you, you find different, different things to, to redirect your attention. Some, sometimes it can be negative. Sometimes it can be positive. And I, you know, I had some things that, uh, 
I had some things that were going on and I needed to, you know, just get myself together as far as, you know, finding out who I am outside of the game and, you know, shooting and, uh, you know, being a photographer and stuff like that, you know, allowed me to find myself and allowed me to, you know, find something I love outside of the game. So, I mean, if y'all follow me on Instagram, underscore uh, Buster88, and also I have my photography um, Instagram that I just recently started uh, this this past week. Uh, the name is MVP Studios ATL. Awesome. Well, yeah, everybody go follow that for sure. I'm, I'm definitely going to follow that as well. But uh, now I was going to say selfishly, very, very excited. Would love to, as somebody that wants to see one of these independent, independent leagues outside of the NFL work, uh, would love to see you in the XFL because that, that is something that, uh, you know, I, I know fans are very excited about. Would, would love to see you in that as well because I know they're trying to bring it back and get it going I, you know just to have more reason to watch would be great but uh you know lastly yeah. before I let you go Busta obviously this is a Gamecocks podcast I want to ask you uh what would you say is your favorite memory from South Carolina and if you want to add any funny stories from your time in Columbia maybe some Steve Spurrier stories uh you know feel free to share those on the airwaves as well uh overall I, I, I love South Carolina I love the state I love the fans and I appreciate y'all accepting me as one of your own, and uh, I never forget my my time that I that I share with with you guys, with my teammates, with my coaches at at South Carolina. And anytime I'm back, you know, feel free feel free to hit me up. I'll I'll be back around this year for some games and stuff like that. But uh, I say a funny, a real funny story. The 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 ended off. It was one day. We were uh, we were down at the ball game and. It was just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. We just got, we just got done with practice. It was probably pouring down, raining, and stuff like that. One thing that we, that we like to do a lot, is mimic Coach Spurrier's voice. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure everybody done, <laughs> done tried it and stuff like that. And uh, one thing I would say he would always get on me about is, let me think. One thing I would say he get on me about, especially as a, as a young guy, is just like route running and stuff like that. He's he like, ah, well, you can't, can't run a corner the way I want you to. Yeah, you got to get you up here, stem it to the left, stem it to the right, and break on to the corner. So it's just like stuff like we we mess around and, you know, joke around with Coach Spurrier in the way he talks and stuff like that. Just just funny stuff like that. I get on the phone and call call my buddies that I play with and just sit back and have a good old conversation about Coach Spurrier and going over to his house uh, for – I think it was like during the summertime. We played like a he was big into like a egg tossing game, mm. which you know none of the players really, really cared that much about. But it seemed like it was something that you know he really loved doing every year. So we just went ahead and, and did it for him. It was it was funny because a lot of guys you know no nobody really into egg tossing. But if you see the, if you seen the look on his face, man, when we played this every year, it, it man it brought joy to him having the guys around his, his home. Shout out to Miss Jerry, the greatest, the the greatest wife uh, that that a man could have. Because without her, Coach Spurrier wouldn't be where, the man who he is today. She she did a lot for us as players, especially when on our birthday she made cookies. If we were down, she 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 checked on us. She was out there at practice. I honestly love Coach Spurrier, Miss Spurrier, and I appreciate everything that they've done for me. 
No doubt. Yeah. Jerry Spurrier, obviously someone that's uh, very, very well known. Like you said, I don't think coach Spurrier would be where, uh, where he got to and where he is now today without her. But, uh, but no, yeah, definitely very, very funny stuff as far as I know playing for coach Spurrier, especially being a, being an offensive guy. We've obviously had some guys on our podcast that played for coach Spurrier on offense and, I've definitely heard, I guess, the horror stories from the film room. If you if you messed up the following a Sunday or Monday was certainly uh, – Oh, man. You certainly weren't going to do it again. So, sure. Yeah, you definitely weren't going to do that again. And if you messed up that one time, he probably, he probably couldn't remember what he ate earlier that day, but he remembered that exact play for the rest of your career. No matter, no matter if that happened your freshman year and you were senior or it happened – your sophomore year and you a 10-year vet, he always going to remember that one exact play that you messed up on. That's one thing that does not does not leave his mind. Well, I would say the good thing for you is my, you, you didn't have many mess-up plays in your career. I, I would, From what I remember, at least, I, I think most of your plays were, uh, were positive. So I'm sure, that's, uh, I'm sure that helped the relationship out with you guys. I mean, oh, yeah. But, I mean, just like anybody, I had a lot of mistakes and – a lot of times where I was the guy that day and he he's, you know, drilling me that whole that whole film session. So I've been in that I've been in that position to where to where he's drilling me and nobody wants to be there. No <laughs> trust me, nobody wants to be in that position. It's 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 no fun for you. It's no fun for your teammates. It's just it's all bad. No doubt. Well, yeah, Busta, appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, everybody that's listening, if you've done so, go follow Busta Anderson on Instagram as well as his photography photography business. I know we will. We'll be following along with, uh, you know, whatever happens, if the XFL or the photography business or if you get back in coaching, obviously, we'll be following along. But, Busta, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure. I definitely appreciate you having me. Once again, uh, shout out to South Carolina Gamecock fans, man. Go Cops. A 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.